Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. message that we're going to be giving to you is coming from the book of Colossians, and it's in a section that deals with prayer, a worthy prayer. And I want you to know that praying is not something that is just a futile thing, that when we pray with a clean heart, turn toward God, that He will open up and answer those prayers according to His will. And I want to encourage you with that. So let me begin by just kind of framing this for you, like if I am to pray for other people, what kind of people should I pray for? And I'd like to submit to maybe three here if you want to just think about these. The Bible clearly says that we can pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. How many of you, and I say this with a smile, has a family member, friend, or neighbor, a worker, or classmate that does not know Christ as their personal Savior? All right, for those people, we need to be very faithful in prayer. The Bible says to do that, praying for all men. And we need to pray for them that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. The second group of people to pray for would be for those that do know Christ as Savior, but we know, and we're not trying to judge, but their lifestyle demonstrates a lifestyle that does not complement their faith in Christ. In other words, they're walking without a clear, consistent, godly witness. But how many of you know someone who you know purports to be a Christian, and maybe you know for a while they've done many Christian things, but they, at this point in their life, they're struggling in their journey with God, and they're not walking with God right now. In fact, you know that they're doing things that are very contrary to God's Word. You know someone like that. I know some, and if we are social in our being and we have our spiritual antenna up, they're all around us, and there could be some in this church as well. They're everywhere. Well, the Bible says that we should pray for them, and there are many examples that we would pray that they'd understand all that they have in Christ and all the power that they have, because once they understand this great gift that God gives to them as a believer in Christ, that often that's enough to turn them around. They just lack that knowledge, so we can pray for that. Then there's the third group, and this group is probably the least prayed for group, and that's the group of people that really are, they're walking with God. They're, They're really growing in the Lord. They're doing what they can. Sometimes we pray for the lost a little bit more, then we pray for rebellious Christians second, and then occasionally we might pray for those that are really walking with God if they're in our family or they have to make a major decision or have a health issue. We'll pray for them. Well, this is where it takes us back to Colossians. Paul is about ready to unload upon people whom he's never met, but he's heard about truth that will help add value to their life. But before he does, he also has heard from them and about them that they were people that had great love for other people and had great faith. So this church probably was pretty much walking with God. But then he said that he prayed for them and he wrote them a letter telling them what he prayed about for them. So maybe you know someone now that you uh, respect, that have faith. Maybe there's someone you know that is a Christian that just seems to be so loving and merciful and graceful or gracious with people. You could pray for them as well. Now, in doing that, the context says that he does it like a sandwich technique. He prays this first, then he prays this second, and then he prays that third. Well, I want to help you to understand a little bit about prayer, especially for our guests for a moment. Most of the time when you hear the word prayer, you think that's praying or asking God or talking to God for someone or about someone or for something or about something. So it's more of a one-way conversation to God. In fact, John R. Rice has the book Asking and Receiving. They think prayer is that. And it's not necessarily not that. It is that. But I want you to know it's more than just petitioning God. Prayer is building a relationship with God by talking to Him. That's important. 
It's not just going to someone and always, the only time you come up to him, the first thing you do is you ask him to do something for you or to give you something. There's no relationship in that. You have to have that relationship built. And so that's prayer, is building that relationship. But listen to this. Sometimes, though, when you are petitioning the Lord, you can also be drawn closer to someone else when you are praying to God about that person. So while prayer is building a relationship with the Lord, if you are sincerely praying with a pure heart about someone else, if I could do the sign of the cross up here horizontally, it's also helping you and me to build a better relationship with other people, especially if it's a prayer of love, not one of those prayers of, Lord, get them, smack them, you know? One of those love, build them up type prayers. And Paul did that. Now, before he ever unloads biblical truth on the Colossian people to add value to them, which we're going to learn from him as if we're the Colossian church in the weeks ahead, he does speak about prayer. And so I wanted you to see the two aspects of his prayer. So here's the kind of prayer he prayed. The first one was a prayer of praise. So before he ever even starts asking God for anything, he praises the Lord. And look what it says here. He says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So he gives kind of a praise. We thank God for you. We praise the Lord for you. We're praying for you. It's a connectivity with those people, again, that he never knew, never met. And that may be some of you. We want to pray for the ones that we know and we have met, but there could be people that we don't know, we haven't prayed for. Look, can I give you an example of just a freebie for you? You know that I was in Singapore uh, preaching at Crossroads International Church there in Singapore. You don't know those people except for maybe our missionaries there, Rick and Susan Griffith. But maybe while I'm preaching here, you might want to throw up a quick, quick prayer request for a church that's only 18 months old that's struggling to figure out how to get organized and move forward for God. You pray for them and you say, Lord, thank you that there is a lighthouse in Singapore surrounded God's truth right here and bless them in some special way. You could do that. That's called praise. The second is petition. That's where you're going to ask the Lord something for those people on their behalf. You're going to ask them for something. Now, the list could be a mile long, but most of the things that you'll find that are not prayed for or asked for in Scripture would be the person's health, a better job, or money. Now, we do see an isolated verse that John said back in the epistles of John. But the most of the time, they are spiritual changes of living. So look back, if you will, at the verse in verse 9 now. It says this, we also, meaning besides thanking God for you and praying for you, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, I'm going to talk about that filling of the knowledge of his will in just a moment. Now, let's remember the sandwich that I just told you here. The first one was, he says in verse 3, I pray the, praise the Lord for you. I thank God for you. Then the meat in the middle of this sandwich right here is going to be that you would be filled full of the knowledge of God. Then he goes a little bit further in verse 12, 3, 9, 12. Keep that in mind. Praise, petition, and now he goes back and he says this in verse 12. If you will, look a little bit further there. It says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he opens it up by thanking the Lord. He tells them what he's praying about for them and the results that we get from it. And then he comes back and he says, thank you. Now, there are a few of you, and I hope all of you, that would like to strengthen your prayer life, that you would like to pray a more worthy biblical prayer. There's no better prayer than you can pray than one that's already recorded in Scripture that God wanted us to read of someone who did pray correctly. This is a, one of our great models of prayer. And so I want to unleash this upon all of us to pray for the person by praising the Lord, thanking God for him. Then we want to petition a special prayer for them, and then we want to thank God again for him. Let's look at, let's look at the list here when it says being filled with the fullness of the knowledge of his will here. Here would be some of the things he would be. 
This, per this person would have a worthy walk. Next to that phrase, you might want to just write down the word, he'd have stability. So you're going to say that if that person is influenced by the knowledge of his will, he'd be a stable person, not up one day and down the next. He'd have a worthy walk with God, a clean, pure walk. The second, he'd have a fruitful lifestyle. Write the word success down there. I don't like that word success, but I think it kind of helps a little bit. Fruitful means you're having success. Success in the garden, if you're growing fruit, fruit in your life. There's a bit of an outward sign of something that's happening. So a person who is filled with the knowledge of his will, he's going to have some fruit, some results, some success. Then it says a deepening knowledge of God. You can put there scripturally sound. This person that is filled full of the knowledge of God will be filled full of the knowledge of his word, and that means he will become more scripturally sound. And then spiritually strong here. That would be that spiritual strength. He'd have a strength about him spiritually that when he is afflicted by the temptations of life that he does not succumb to those temptations, but he walks clean and pure. He's spiritually strong in the Lord. He maintains his quiet time with God. He still prays when he's tired. He still fellowships at church at times when he's so busy and he feels like maybe I can take the day off. He's still part of a spiritual strength, inwardly and outwardly. Number five, there's that patient endurance. So write the word steadiness down there. Steadiness means that he is rock solid. That means that there's nothing that will, will uh, uh, discourage him. He's willing to go through the, the suffering and the afflictions. And by the way, if you read that passage in context, it says with joy. So it's not just biting the bullet and going on. And then finally you have be thankful and how important that really is. Now, let me see if I can help you understand what the word filled with the knowledge of his will um, ha have any of you had the opportunity to ever go on a, a sailboat? Has anybody, whether it's a catamaran or one of those trimarans out there at Waikiki, how many of you have ever been in a sailboat before? Would you raise your hand? All right. I don't know where you went sailing. I don't know what your situation or sail was like, but we've sailed a lot out of Newport Beach, Newport Harbor in California a lot. I miss sailing tremendously, and I'm looking forward to the time our church is a little bit more healthy where I have more time to go sailing here. I enjoy it. I do remember going out of Newport Beach. We're out there out of the jetties, and we, were, we have to motor on out. They prefer you not to sail if you have too big of a boat. So you get outside the jetties, and we're deciding to go down to Dana Point and all the way down to... Um, uh, San Diego, this particular trip. When we got out there, it's a rare time, but the, the Pacific Ocean was really that passive then. There was hardly any wind, and we're sitting there. Now, my wife does boating. She doesn't do bobbing. You know what I mean? If you've ever been in a boat, how many of you ever get kind of, how many of you getting seasick just watching me do this, all right? Well, my wife gets a little funny by that. So I'm out there, and I'm saying, uh-oh, we're going to have some interesting things happen that's going to come forth in just a moment. <clears throat> So I said, oh, God, please give us some wind. And I don't always get my prayers answered. And I think the wind was on its way before I prayed. But all I can tell you, all of a sudden, our little floppy little sails that were just hanging down on the mast, all of a sudden, the wind came. It went into the sail. The, snail, the sail snapped open, and we lurched forward. And we were going at a clip of about seven knots for the size of this uh, hunter sailboat that we were in. And we were having a ball. Now, I'm telling you that story for this. When we say that the sail was filled with the wind, we don't mean that the canvas had wind inside all of the netting of this. What we mean is that the canvas was there, but the wind influenced the sail, and then we just could steer it with the tiller, and we could head on down wherever we wanted to go from then on. So the wind influenced it. it we could say controlled it, but not totally controlled it, because we also had to respond to that filling of the sails with the tiller. So what this passage is saying that when we pray for other people, we thank God for them, but we pray that they are so influenced by the knowledge of His will. Now, we know the wind, Holy Spirit, that's all a major part. There's a lot of verses that talk about being controlled by the Spirit, influenced by the Spirit. This is not it. 
Watch it now. Watch that. It says the knowledge of his will. Now stay with it. When you know his will, you'll know his will most accurately when you know his word. So to know his will is to know his word. What's his will? Should you get a Chevy or Cadillac? Should you get a Honda or Toyota? I can't answer that. But his word will tell you what is your motive. Are you going into debt to do this thing? What's your purpose for having this vehicle? All of the things necessary to help you make the decision about that particular car. And you'll end up in his will because you know his word. Here's another thought. When it talks about being controlled by the spirit, influenced by the spirit, like being influenced by the wind, the, to know if you're influenced by the spirit will be that you know the spirit will not do anything contrary than God's word. So God's spirit, God's word work in tandem. So when you're influenced by the spirit of God, you'll be influenced by the word of God. And by that, you'll be influenced by the spirit of God. Now, if you stay in context, I hope you're tracking with me now. To be influenced by the knowledge of his will, some of the byproducts will be everything we just mentioned here regarding the stability, the strength, the sound doctrine, all that's necessary in your life. And I'm going to tell you that if we choose not to meditate and allow the Spirit of God to, watch this, influence us, it's not going to work. If we don't respond to the influence of the word, we're going to be in some really, really tight situations. I remember a time that our sails were influenced by the wind. Unfortunately, we did not yield properly to the wind's influence on the sail. My friend was taking the wheel, the tiller, but this boat had a a wheel on it, and he pitched us too hard, and this 28-and-a-half-foot hunter began to tip over. Now, the good news is it probably would not fully tip over because of the ballast and the keel and all that other kind of stuff, but I will tell you it was very precarious in the sense that its passengers on board this boat could have been spilled in the Pacific And only God knows where we would have been after that. So we have to properly respond to the influence. And if we don't, we're into some deep weeds. So that's what keeps this in mind. Now, for those of you that have a few other verses in your outline here, I want you to know that prayer is so much a part of all of Scripture here. And so it talks about how even the psalmist prayed. It says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. And then this is neat. Jesus, and I've only cited two of these. Jesus, when he gave thanks, he gave thanks before the event occurred. I think that's the height of spiritual maturity that you can already thank God for something that you already know that's on the way. And in this case, he gave thanks here before the feeding of the 5,000, and then he gave thanks before he raised Lazarus from the dead. So we're getting ready to talk about what are we thanking God for? But if we don't have a thankful heart, then we won't thank God for anything. And I want us to have a thankful heart. Some of you that have a struggle saying thank you when someone does something for you. Some of you that neglect even expressing thanks with thank you notes when they go out of their way to do things for you. It could be because you get so busy, but inside of you beats a very weak heart of thankfulness. And I want to caution you because in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it talks about the world. And they may know something about God, but they don't have the real God inside of them. And they're the very people that the Bible identifies as unthankful. Look at that verse, if you will. It says this, although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Thankfulness really is huge in the heart of someone who has their heart turned toward God. I think it's because Jesus was such a thankful person. And how neat it would be for us to thank God before something rather than thank God after the fact. So in this passage, what are we going to thank the Lord for? I thought that was interesting. There are three truths that we're going to thank God for. Here they are. Number one, because God has given us an inheritance. God has given us and inheritance. Would you read the verse in verse 12 out loud with me? Everyone together, read verse 12 out loud. Whatever version you have, or you can read it off your sheet. Here it goes. 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Well, let's talk about inheritance. If you don't mind, if you would feel comfortable doing this, how many of you in your lifetime, you have been blessed by being given an inheritance? You received an inheritance. Would you raise your hand? How many have received an inheritance? My hand is up too. I've had a deceased loved one who somehow, you know, missed and gave me some inheritance. Okay, we've all had an inheritance. Now, help me with this. You don't have to tell me about your inheritance, but what are some of the things that people will receive in an inheritance when they receive an inheritance from someone? Just shout it out. Money, isn't that funny? The first thing is money, money, money. Well, I can tell you I've gotten some money. Now, you'll notice I probably didn't get a lot because we know what that is. Our money. What's number two? What's the second inheritance? Valuables, Okay valuables. Now, that's a pretty broad deal, so help me. What kind of valuables might you have inherited? Jewelry. Okay, maybe not you, but some people got jewelry, okay? They got jewelry. What's another one? Antiques. That's one we can't forget. Some people says, I don't want these antiques to go to some antique dealer. I want to dump all this old stuff on my family when I die. All right, so they give the antiques out. All right, what's another thing you might get? A house. Someone get a house you don't need? All right, now, coming back to this. When my dad passed away, there was very little money. My dad was a construction worker. He had enough to retire, and he was very generous with when he was alive. But when he was dead, there wasn't a lot there. Now, I don't fault my dad for that at all. I'm grateful, you know, that he, he was able to do what he had to. But when he passed away, I inherited one of his tools, and he had an old craftsman skill saw, the kind that was really strong. And I brought that with me here to Hawaii, and I can't wait to get it out to show John Deacle this antique craftsman, no less, skill saw that I have. Now, that's what we have. And all of us, maybe at one time or another, may get inherited. The younger you are, the less this is really connecting to you. The older you are, you think in terms of two things, giving an inheritance when you die and maybe receiving one from a loved one. Those are inheritance. Those are things that we get. The scripture is replete with certain inheritances that God says that because you're my child, I'm going to give you that inheritance. So what Paul is now doing, he's saying, I am praying now for these people that they would understand the full knowledge of God's word so that they would understand the inheritance that they have with other saints. And so that's what you want to find out. What are some of these inheritances? And I've just selected five of them for you. All right, number one is... What does the inheritance consist of? First one is eternal life. Write that down because that is absolutely essential here. Eternal life. It says that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Circle the words his grace. His grace. That means that when you trust Christ as Savior, what you get from your heavenly father is eternal life. Now I can tell you that when my father passed away, There are two things that I did not inherit from my dad. Number one, I did not inherit a long earthly life. I don't know how long I have, but I'm not promised to live forever on planet Earth in my present body. The second thing I did not inherit from my dad, and neither will you from your family, is this. You will not inherit eternal life. I don't care how good they are. I don't care how much money they've given to the church, like John F. Kennedy's family gave a million dollars to the Roman Catholic Church to help Kennedy get out of purgatory and possibly make it to heaven. There's no amount of money or things that an earthly person can do to provide any type of life-after-death blessing on that other person. There's nothing available for you or for them. So we get, though, on what God's done for us on the cross, eternal life. Now, here's what I'd like to do. Watch this. Eternal life, old skill saw. Eternal life, jewelry. 
Eternal life, an old piece of antique. Which would you rather have? Shout it out. You get that. And that's one of the inheritances. Let's look at number two. Salvation. It's interesting how that sometimes eternal life and salvation go together. Sometimes it's difficult because salvation refers to earthly saving of your body and situation. Sometimes it talks about eternal life. But in this case it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so that's something in the future. So we will inherit salvation. Now those of you that are so new to the Christian faith and so new to Christianity... Let me give you some lingo here that you'll hear a lot, usually from more of the old timers, if I can use that term. You're going to hear the phrase, are you saved? And you got salvation and you're lost. Those are words that you don't really spit out when you're at the drinking fountain at work very much. You don't hear there very much. But those who have been Christians for decades, centuries, those are words that are pretty sacred to them and very real. So when we say, are you saved? We're not talking about, are you saved from drowning or a burning building? We're talking about, are you saved from an eternity in hell? which is worse than a burning building, perhaps. And so we use the word salvation. That's a word you don't hear a lot. But that's basically what it means. Are you saved? Do you have salvation? Has Jesus given to you eternal life? And so you'll hear these terms that are used synonymously often and back and forth. So if you hear me use that word, one of the great Bible guys that I have up here to preach, and they kind of spit out the word, you know, you that are saved, I want you to know what that word means. You that are a Christian by faith alone. Here's the third inheritance. This is the promises of God. When you trust Christ as Savior, part of your inheritance is a God who makes and has the power to keep the promises to you. It says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, the promises of God. Now, in context, it's a broader base of promise than uh, what I'm referring to right here. But just in terms, the promise. I want to tell you a story about another guy. His name is Bill. Bill was a little boy, very much about early junior high age. And he was a boy who had a dad who worked a lot of hours, so many hours that his dad did very little with him. But one time, his little boy, Bill, was involved in Cub Scouts, and they were going to go out an overnight camping deal. And he was so excited about that. So he went to his dad and said, Dad, can you, can you take me with you camping? We want to go. The guys are, would you? And the dad said, you know I'm really busy, but all right, I'll take you camping. When are we going to go camping? They said, it's going to be next Saturday. Friday night, Saturday night, weekend, camping. Bill was so excited for that. He got all the camping gear and he put it on the front porch ready to load it in the dad's trunk when dad would come home from work on Friday because dad said he was going to take him camping. They were supposed to meet at the church at 6 o'clock, go to the campsite by 7 and be set up by 8 or 9 o'clock. The father didn't show up at 5, didn't show up at 6, didn't show up at 7, didn't show up at 8. Finally, the dad came in about 9.30. Now he wasn't drunk. He was just so busy with work, he came in and he saw the disheartened boy there with all the gear on the front porch ready to put it in the trunk of the car to go camping with the other Cub Scouts. Well, this poor guy is looking there. The son's looking down. The father then said, son, I am so sorry. I know you wanted to go, but let me tell you something. I know where they're camping. We will get up first thing early in the morning and we're going to go camping. And I'll meet them there with you, and we can set up, and we'll camp the rest of the weekend. Well, the boy was excited, you know, a little disappointed, but still excited. So the boy went to bed. Father said, be ready by 6. You know how the kids are. So excited. We're, today's the day. Dad missed it then, but that's okay. We'll give him that little bye. So tomorrow we're going to go. He wakes up plenty early, gets all the stuff out. He now loads it in the trunk of the car now for the dad. The dad didn't get up at 5, didn't get up at 6, didn't get up at 7, didn't get up at 8, didn't get up until 9. When the father finally came staggering out of the bedroom, 
He then looked at his son and says, oh, I need to tell you, I don't really feel, I have a bad back today, and I don't know that I can really sleep on the ground like that. Maybe we can do this. I am so sorry. Well, the boy was disheartened, didn't put on a tantrum, but he was brokenhearted as you and I would be. And so the dad said, would you do me a favor, since my back is hurting, would you now take this camping gear and put it back in the garage? Well, the boy, you know, cried a little took the gear, put it back into the garage. And after he took it back into the garage, he was walking back to slam the trunk down. And when he did, he saw his dad come out of the other side of the house and he had his golf bags. And he put the golf bags in the bottom of his trunk, closed it down and took off. I don't know much about Bill. I don't know anything about him growing up and where he's at right now. But I know this, that that anybody that's had someone make so many promises to you that's a significant person that has broken them, You do not rely much on other people. You do not get close to them. But I want to tell you that when you trust Christ as Savior, you have a God who cannot lie, who has a power to make and keep promises. And your inheritance that you have is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.